Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, I'm going to be piggybacking off the previous episode where I talked about when people don't believe you. But now I really want to talk about spouses and how they can be a support in this situation with your kids. Because if you have a high needs child, you know that it is more than a mountain full to do it by yourself. You've got to, you know, they talk about this village that it takes to raise a child. Well, that village better be hecka big if you are raising a high needs child. <laughs> because, whoa, it will take you down in ways you never thought were possible. So I'm just going to touch on a few things I've already touched on. One of which is people can only relate to what they can relate to. So you have to be able to factor that in when talking about your spouse. And you have to give them a little bit of leeway. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is my husband came up to me. And he actually was on the phone. And he calls me and he says, you know what I think you should do? I think you should do an episode where you talk about spouses and how they should believe their wives. (laughs) I was like, okay. And he was like, or how they can be a support. And I thought, great. And I'm rubbing my hands together. And I'm like, I got some ideas. <laughs> this will be great. So I am going to give this podcast episode to my husband and to any of the spouses out there who have a spouse who is the primary caregiver of a child with high needs. And I say this, in my case, I mean, reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social anxiety, I mean, disinhibited social engagement disorder, but also anxiety and oppositional defiance and DMDD and all of these things, like all of these things, when you have children that have these kind of behaviors that are very extreme and very difficult, including autism, some, some autistic children are absolutely difficult. And in an amazingly unrelatable way to people. But if you are the spouse, I'm going to talk mostly to the spouses today. Then I I really hope you take the time to listen to this episode. So first off, I'm going to tattletale on my own husband. When my child started showing her signs of reactive attachment disorder and trauma ADHD at 18 months, I started becoming a different person. I was so flabbergasted by and exhausted by those behaviors that I just, I was done. I was so frazzled by the time he would come home from work that I, I was so done and I would just be like, oh my gosh, honey, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I would tell him all the things and I could see in his eyes that he's like, oh my gosh, she's crazy. Like I could see that in his eyes. I could tell he didn't believe me. But to his credit, he was like, okay, like, (laughs) just like, he wouldn't, he would occasionally question because I think you're supposed to as a spouse, like, I don't think that's a terrible thing to have happen every once in a while, you know. But he didn't really question me all that much. Like he did, but, but I was I was changed. I was desperate and I was hurting and I was overwhelmed and I was frazzled and I was confused and honestly quite astonished in my own situation. So then I'm, you know, approaching my spouse 
and I am all these things. And instead of saying, oh, come here, like is probably I don't even know if it's humanly possible when you're being approached with such fragile frazzledness. But he, he didn't he didn't save me. I wanted someone to save me because it was so much so exhausting, so hard. But he couldn't wrap his head around what was going on. It did not make sense to him. But again, to his credit, he was like, okay, pat, pat, pat on the head. (laughs) Okay. Well, when you have a relationship with someone who has high needs, I do not know where I got this information. I have no citation for this note, but I've had this note for like five years. And it's that 80 plus percent of parents who have really high needs children, such as, you know, severe ADHD or, or those kinds of of things end up divorced. Well, that is intimidating to me. I don't want to go into a place where I feel like I am trying to help out, you know, the world and adopt somebody and, and be good only to have it destroy my marriage and my life. That that wasn't my purpose. That wasn't my goal. Having children, that wasn't my goal. And, and I don't want that to happen. I don't want my relationship with my husband to not exist because I'm so burnt out from the behaviors of my children. You know, it's funny because when you're young, you know, there was when I was young, (laughs) which is probably a different time than when most of you were young. But um, I remember divorce wasn't that common. And when you'd watch television, and they talk about it, the kid would always say, is it my fault? And the parents would always say, no, honey, it wasn't your fault. But now that I'm older, I'm not saying that it's the child's fault because it's not like the child has done any of the things, but I can understand now a different portion of the impact that being a child has on your married relationship, as in like having a child has on your married relationship. If you are being a child, then that also has a difficult part in your marriage relationship. So work has a weight to it. Church has a weight to it. Children have a weight to it. And I remember it was Jerry Seinfeld who said this thing, and I'm going to misquote it, but it was so excellent that if you really want it, look it up. He said, everything is trauma. Being married is trauma. Having children is trauma. You just pick the trauma that you can live with. And I just thought, yeah, like, okay, like, we keep expecting life to be lovely. Life's not lovely. Life is really hard. Waking up every day and going to work and getting all your things done and, and not having enough money at the end of the month. Those are hard things. But it doesn't mean they're bad things. And so as we approach parenting, it is a hard thing. And doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's a bad thing. Now, when your child is, you know, categorically attacking you, it definitely doesn't feel like a good thing. It can definitely feel like a bad thing. But it can also it in this situation, it can be a bad thing and a good thing in my mind at the same time. But when you're in the thick of it, you're not going to feel it. So I'm giving this advice to the spouses. 
Remember who your person was before this situation happened. So when they come and they say, oh, Tiny Tim is so absolutely hard. Oh, he got called by the principal today. Oh, this happened today. Oh, that happened today. Oh, he did this to somebody. Oh, he punched somebody in the face. Oh, he pulled down his pants in this place. Oh, he did. When your spouse is telling you all of that stuff, know that they're wearing all of that stuff. So when they're coming to you and they're saying, blarg and they're like dumping their day on you and how you're like I don't want to hold this I don't want this on me I've already had my own hard day know that that's what their child is doing to them only they have to hold it because it's their child and they not only have to hold it but they are literally responsible for finding the solution for it and it's overwhelming and it happens if it happens a ton all the time it is just exhausting So remember who your person was before and know that this shift really could be because of the situations that have happened to them. It really could be because Tiny Tim is so hard. It really could be. In our case with reactive attachment disorder, my little lady was categorically focused on making my life awful. She would sing about it. She would loved it. I love making mom mad. And I know that you're going to connect it and be like, oh, that's so bad. And I think, no, 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 no. (laughs) It was worse than that. It was so much stuff all the time. You just have to believe that the person who you looked at who once could hold some weight on their shoulders and can't anymore didn't do that because of nothing. There was a reason that that happened. And they're worth, they're worth seeing as somebody who, you know, has the ability to become that person again, once this burden has shifted. When you have an incredibly difficult child, and I mean, high, high, high needs child, it changes you. It just does. But there is a very, very, very real opportunity to have that change move both of you in a course for the better. But you have to believe her or him and you have to understand that this is a transitory process, but it is a long transitory process. It makes somebody terrible. And I wish I had all of the answers to find a solution for this. I just want you right now to know that it's real so that you and your spouse can find the solution to that. So anytime, and I talked about this in my previous one, but I'm going to focus on it a little bit more here. Anytime you're stuck in hypervigilance, there's trauma. So one of the books that I've read is the Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Source Book by Glenn Chiraldi. And it goes through, I'm sure there are lots of great resources, but I've liked this one just fine, where it goes through and it talks about different pieces and approaches to um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And when I, when I bring this up, I bring this up because the hypervigilance that causes trauma, if it is over a long period of time, you will find yourself in post-traumatic stress disorder. You will get PTSD from raising your children. You can get PTSD from anything that causes 
you to be in hypervigilance? Well, one of the reasons that I ended up in hypervigilance is because not only when my child was young, would she try to physically injure herself all the time. And when I say all the time, I mean all the time. But it was also, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep her from getting hurt. So that was one thing. But it was also that I was trying to keep her from being angry. Because if she got angry, you ended up with a tantrum set that lasted hours. And so I would be panicked about whether or not something was going to make her flip her lid. And I would freak out about it. (laughs) And then I would just spend the entire day worried about what that was going to do and what that was going to look like and what punishments I was going to receive if something happened. That is your hypervigilance. That is your trauma. And that alone can cause PTSD. And PTSD can show up in so many different ways with different people. But one benefit, spouses out there, if your spouse has PTSD because of raising your children, you can make usually a lot of good progress with therapy. There are some things that therapy does not help with. I have found in my own life that talking about things and working through things and even having this nice uh, workbook have been really helpful in helping me to kind of, you know, categorize my issues and understand them from a different angle and be able to approach life differently after having a minute away. So don't give up hope. There are possibilities for um, a little bit of benefit as time goes on. (laughs) So one of the best things for me And of course, every single one of us is different. We process our stuff differently. I can tell you, my husband processes exactly the opposite of me. So when I say this works for me, no, this might not be what works for your spouse or even for you. But one of the things that works for me is talking about what has stressed me out for that day. So if you happen to be married to somebody who likes to talk it out, if I don't talk about it, I then internalize it and I, I wear it and it I can't seem to let it go unless I have talked about it. So one of the things that has been really helpful for me is if I say, hey, can I have your attention for 15 minutes or I just tell you all the crappy things that happened this week? And he'll be like, okay. (laughs) Because it's not fun. And I get really ranty. But it really is beneficial for me to scoop it all out of the inside of me and get it out. Now, unfortunately, that means he now has to wear some of my trauma, which is not nice. But that is why I kind of try and keep it in a small amount of time. I mean, two half hour sessions a week with your therapist spouse sounds lovely. But to be able to get it out really, really helps for me. Um, If you read this book, the post traumatic stress disorder source book, they have a lot of good um, suggestions. But there again, are tons of other books out there, give it a try, really dive in, you're going to be frazzled, it's going to be hard. But it will be beneficial to you to have a game plan in place and you two can work it out together where you have a game plan in place to say, I acknowledge that you are in a place that is more stressful than you know what to do with. I value you. 
let's make a game plan on how to let off some steam about this. Maybe you become a bike rider. Maybe you become a jogger. Maybe that is where you have your thing. Or maybe it is these two half hour venting sessions that really just benefit you for to to just not have to hold it all. Because again, most of these spouses cannot relate to the other person. All they see is the anger. All they see is the frustration. And in, I don't know what chapter this is, chapter 16 of this book, it talks about managing your anger. But I'm not going to talk about the management of anger. I will leave it to Mr. Giraldi to do that. But what I wanted to talk about is the manifestations of anger and how anger alone is a manifestation of the stress that you have. We all understand this. We've all seen it when husband walks through the door and they've had a really bad day and they're angry because the chemicals that come in your body when you're frustrated tend to make you angry, right? So one of the things he talks about in t- in on page 124 is it says, I feel aggravated. And then he talks about the metaphors people use when they're feeling aggravated and the behaviors that they use. So arguing. When you're aggravated, you tend to argue. If you go through a list like this and both of you can say to yourselves, I recognize that my anger comes from the fact that I am stressed out my mind and I don't know what to do. And I don't even want to sit here and talk about this because I'm so stressed out and I don't even, I just want to zone out on my phone or I just want to run away. You have to, as the primary parent or as a secondary parent, do something proactive to help yourself. Because if you do not, you will never stop stewing. You will never change the routine. It will never improve the way that it can improve if you take a proactive approach to this. So learning about the way you feel and how that shows and being okay with the fact that your person is in a massively amazingly stressful situation and being okay with when they're biting your head off and you're so mad that your head is being bitten off and you say, you know what? I know you're mad. I am not okay with this behavior. But to be able to say, I see that you're upset. You know, even though these actions are not okay, I understand how you got there. To be able to find a solution, an active solution that says, okay, we've obviously reached this point where I'm super, super angry and you are not hearing me. We're going to go for a walk. We're not going to talk on this walk. We're just going to walk until we've released some of these chemicals into our muscles for use or however that works. I don't really know. <laughs> and then we come back and we talk. Or, you know, I again, I like the venting session. I like it when I can just blarg and he doesn't try and fix anything and he doesn't try and say anything. Where he just sits there without his phone and just looks at me and kind of nods. And then when I say, did you, did you hear me? And he's like, yes, you know, like to have active listening for one hour a week, I think is not an irrational thing to request. And we can really make this really difficult situation, something that we can both do our part to help. Because I mean, it doesn't have to be bad. 
I, I think I spoke in the other one. Hard things aren't necessarily bad things. And awful things aren't necessarily bad things. So raising these horrible children that are super awful and terrible and horrible isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's hard and it hurts and it wears me out. But there are times when I look at my really, really, really difficult child and I think I wouldn't want anyone else raising her. I just want her to be good. (laughs) I I want to not have to deal with these difficult parts, but I don't want her to be somewhere else. Now, for full disclosure, I have absolutely, you know, felt very frazzled in other directions before, but I don't, I don't want that to be the case. So it is possible, that is this section, to understand that your spouse is a different person because of the stresses they have, to accept that you are a different person because of the stresses you have, and to find a way proactively to put all of that together and make, uh, the take the first steps at making a solution for yourself and your family. Okay, here comes the next one that really is really difficult to me. Um, And this has to do more with reactive attachment disorder. I need my husband and you other spouses who are not the primary parent to be aware of triangulation, to be aware that your child, if they, as in reactive attachment disorder, have a deep-seated hate for the primary parent, that the child is going to try very hard to make that parent look bad to you. Um, they'll try to make the parent look bad to teachers. Mine tries with strangers, like we could be at the grocery store, and she'll she'll try to make me look bad to the strangers. We could be at church, we could be at school. Like she will do that. And as hard as it is to not, you know take your child's word at face value. Of course, there are, there are, there's a need to do that. But also don't forget to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. I know you're angry. I know primary parent that you are so angry that you are not getting the support that you need. Because when you need that support and your secondary parent is not there for you, you hate them. You resent them but you don't have to. You don't have to hate them for not understanding. You don't have to resent them for not understanding. You can say to yourself, I get that they don't get it. But secondary spouse, you need to know that I get it. And you need to trust me on this. Because it can be it can be just a mess. (laughs) It just gets to be such a mess. But if you two are on the same page, the mess is somehow beneath you. Like you climb on a rock and the river is flowing around you instead of being neck deep in the river. If you're together for some reason, it lifts you up out of the water and you can breathe better and you can survive better and it's better. So you have to watch out for these areas of triangulation. I believe this happens in um, mood disorder children and oppositional defiance disorder children as well. 
but um, mine are all lumped in together. So it definitely happens. (laughs) And I don't really know exactly what to lump it in with because I'm a mom. I am not anything more than just a mom who has experienced this day in and day out. So the last thing I want to talk about is, I guess it kind of has to do with the triangulation, where it talks about being in charge. So again, in reference to reactive attachment disorder, these kids have no home base person. I am needing to be the home base person. And you might have a teenager and this might feel different to you. And I'm really not sure what to do about the teenager part. But if you are younger than a teenager, this person needs a home base person. And they just do. So when it comes to these kids, they don't want a home base person because they don't understand a home base person. But it is in the best interest of actually any child that you're going to raise, whether or not they have high needs, to say, you know, there is a person in charge and the other person will defer to that person. Now, if it doesn't actually make as much sense if your person doesn't have reactive attachment disorder, like your child. But know that you have to come, what I mean for every kid let me clarify, is that you have to have a united front. So if they go to mom and they say, hey, I want to do this. And mom says, hey, you have to do your chores. And then they go to dad and they're like, oh, dad, I want to do this. I mean, we all know the basic thing. You have to have dad say, did you ask your mom? Yeah. What did she say? This. Well, then I side with mom. Like you have to have that united front in order to raise children or the children are raising you. <laughs> you have to raise these children or you're they're just learning manipulation skills and they're not learning boundaries. And this, I think, can be done in an incredibly healthy way. But I do want to talk again to those people who do have attachment disorder with their children. They need one parent to be the primary parent. And the other parent can be so supportive in so many ways. But you have to have the one parent be the primary parent. And in my opinion, it should be the one that they have the hardest problem with. Because, which is usually the primary parent, because that's the one who's going to be telling them what to do most of the time. That's the one who's going to be raising them. And I think it is in the best interest of the child and the parent that there is one parent who is responsible for those behaviors. But with normal kids or with less attached, I mean, less attachment issue kids, I'm sure you can approach it a different way. Again, I want to remind you that this is just me and my experiences. I am just some rando on a podcast. So do take a lot of care and thought when you go into your own situation and find out what works best for you. I am just trying to say there's hope. It's possible. And there can be good things that come out of having a relationship when you have an incredibly hard child or more than one. Well, regardless of whether or not any of this was good advice to you, I am going to wish you guys the best because it is a hard world out there. And when 
there's troubles with your spouse, for some reason, it's just that much harder. So I wish you all the best in your marriage or with your person or with your children or with all of the things. And thanks for listening.